0: You know, when you meet people, sometimes you just know they're your people. They are your people. And John and Megan came that for me and Lori and our family uh, real quick. And uh, John has a similar ministry story as mine. Didn't think we would be doing it. And here we are. (laughs) And uh, so just in our conversations, uh, having churches and just trying to do different things, you know, because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ trying to figure out, how do we do more things together and it just never lined up and then uh, I don't know probably in April sometime we were chatting and he was like hey it'd be really cool to figure out how to come share with your church I was like well that's funny I need someone August 14th he's like I'm available so uh, anyway that's how that kind of came to be Um, and uh, I'll let John speak for himself but he just has a good heart for Christ and for people and uh, I'm sure whatever God has laid in his heart will be will be good for us so without further ado Pastor John Betts.
1: Well, thanks, Greg. Um, yeah, and by I'm available, what I really mean is our church is small enough, we can just all come join you. And so we're really happy to be here. It is really good as a Christian to get out of your space and your comfort zone and try something new. Um, and I think that's very true for us. So thank you for having us. Um, It's a joy to be here. I hear that you're appreciating having some kids around, so we're happy to bring those to you. Um, Well, this morning, um, I'm going to be talking from Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. So you can kind of have a a finger parked there, but as you'll see when I preach, we kind of move all around the Bible. So we're going to start in Romans 12 as our jumping off point. I'm just going to read the text here for you therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's just pray really quick. God, as we hear your word, Sometimes we just have to sit and let your word do its work on us. I can fill this next period of time with my words, but God, it is your word that is going to transform us as Romans 12 tells us. It's going to transform us. It's going to elevate us so that we're not conformed by the messages that come at us from our week. So God, I just pray that In your grace, what I have to share today will make your word more rich, more beautiful, more precious. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our church right now, we're doing a series that I'm just going to bring to you. And that series is called Embodied Christianity. And the question that we've had in this series is, what do I do with my hands? Now, you might say, well, come on, John, but here's the thing. As Christians, we do a lot of this. We do a lot of head knowledge. You listen to me talk, and you know the answers to the questions. But then the question comes when push comes to shove, and we have that decisive moment in our week where we need to act like Jesus and we duck. We need to act like Jesus and we're afraid. We need need to act like Jesus, and we have to ask the question now on Sunday, we need to ask these kinds of questions, what do I do with my hands as a Christian? Because humans are not just brains on a stick, right? This is is something we've inherited as Westerners, is this idea that we are just brains on a stick. We we as humans are actually whole bodies, but what we say is, oh, as civilized man, we are have whatever our view on that is. In culture, it would be we've come from the apes, right? And what makes us different than the animals is that we have the intellect. We have knowledge. But if we are made in God's image, then we are a whole reflection of his attributes, not just a mind, but emotions and physical bodies, we are material in space. We, we have to move around from point A to point B. And we've started to get distracted from that. We've started to think that maybe that's not actually what we need to do because we live in virtual realities. We live on the internet. We can move around. We can Zoom with people across the planet. We started to become disembodied. But the church, we still gather. You are still gathered here in pews sitting together as people. And let me tell you, just raise my hand. Is this better than COVID? Yes, <laughs> we want to do this. We want to be embodied. There's some deep yearning within us that wants to be embodied. So today what I want to talk about is your body as your traveling companion on the spiritual journey. Your body as your traveling companion. And what I really want to tackle today is, is something that we don't talk about a lot in the church, and that's body image, how you think of yourself, your identity. Who am I? Am I uncomfortable with who I am? Do I try and hide who I am? Am I overly proud of who I am? Do I idolize who I was, but not who I am now? Is my constant life going, man, look at those pictures in that album from when I was 25? Oh! How do we live in our bodies that God has given you right now, that age that have wrinkles, that gain and lose weight because he made your body this way. But instead, we, in the words of Paul, do what we don't want to do and don't do what we want to do. We have the hardest time knowing what to do with our hands because even though we're made in good bodies, Christians have this problem. And it's called sin. And what sin really is, is a false imagination. And what it results in when you live it out is a false life. So in a faulty imagination, we imagine things that aren't real, then we begin to live out those unreal things. A lie in the mind is a lie that we begin to live out in our bodies. So Romans 12 says, offer Your bodies as a living sacrifice in what in view of God's mercy it's his mercy for you and our job is to offer our bodies holy and pleasing that in some way we are in this Christian journey not to just improve our bodies so that they are holy but to realize they were created holy and part of our job is just accepting God's acceptance for us. Now, some of you are identifying, you're like, man, I can't wait to hear this. I have all these questions about this. And other people are like, man, this guy is going to talk about this issue that I just care zero about. I don't have body image issues. Who does this guy think I am? Look, I, I didn't think I did either. And then the other night, I had a nightmare The nightmare, guess what happened in the nightmare? I was stuck in the back of a cab of a truck, and my knees were up against my chin, and I realized I'm self-conscious about how big I am, and I don't want to be in tight places. My tallness is actually something my subconscious is worried about, and I had a nightmare about it. That's a weird body image issue. Like, I think I'm too big for certain spaces. I'm afraid of getting trapped. Some people are, like, envying that. You're like, but you can reach cupboards. Body image, we all have to deal with it. And we, we are all, if we just admit it, discontent with something about our body. I've talked to skinny women who want curves, curvy women who want to be skinny, right? I've talked to short guys who want to be tall, tall guys who want to be short, muscular guys. Well, they're usually pretty happy having <laughs> muscles, right? That doesn't happen as much. But here's the thing. The way that you think about your body you are passing on to the next generation, whether you like it or not. The next generation is going to be dealing with things that now we're putting names to called body dysmorphia, an excessive concern about flaws in appearance. Gender dysphoria has to do in part with body image, not, suring, not being sure if I'm a man or a woman because of the models and the stereotypes and the ways things are portrayed, and that I don't fit in those molds. The coming generation is going to deal with unprecedented levels of anxiety and depression. Some of that will have to do with how we think of our bodies. And a tremendous amount of all of this is simply conforming to cultural expectations. But what does Paul say in Romans 12? In light of God's mercy, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So how do we do this? What do we do with our hands? In Genesis 1, 26, repeat after me because you know this, God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over, and then it lists, all life on earth. You were given the body you are currently in for the purpose of ruling over life on earth. Now, don't let that go to your head. But also, let that go a little bit to your head. Because some of you are like blending in to the wallpaper. And you're like, I'm not a ruler. God gave you your specific body for a purpose. And then in verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was what? Very good. Your body. Very good. Okay? Now, we skip half a chapter forward, or a chapter and a half forward. And now we see these very good bodies, and they are doing what? they're covering themselves in shame with fig leaves. The very good bodies God has made, no sooner are they created and tasked than they are covering themselves in shame. And that just tells the story of what it means to be a human in this world. And I want you to do a weird thing that you probably not normally do in church. Think of areas and situations where you are okay being naked. Think of areas and situations. There's probably not very many, okay? They might be with somebody you're married with. They might be as a kid with your family. Some of you might be like, nah, never, just when I'm alone, thank you. Where are these safe places and why are they safe? You are safe either from innocence as a kid or when you are in a place where you feel absolute and complete trust and intimacy. The rest of the time we spend covering ourselves in protection from what? It might even just be the sun. We're covering ourselves just so we don't get sunburned. We are covering ourselves because we're afraid. Something inside isn't good enough Something inside of us has failed, wasn't made right, and we are afraid of being hurt. And so we cover ourselves in shame. That's what Eve and Adam are doing. They're deathly afraid of being punished. And they're ashamed. You've heard the the saying, hurt people hurt people? Well, I think fearful people hurt people too. And I think that's what we get to the bottom of when we look at some of this Issues today around our bodies. As a result of this shame. Even lots of Christians. Have passed down a hatred of the body. If you grew up in a Christian household. I'm willing to guess. That words like the Apostle Paul said had been twisted. Words like wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death. Those words will be twisted to make you actually believe. That my body is somehow really bad it's bad right it's the carrier of sin and therefore it's bad and this really some of this is inherited from an ancient greek idea actually from the from the philosopher plato that the body was a prison for the soul i've heard people call it my earth suit i've heard people call the body a flush bag which to me is really derogatory statement about your body right And what they're trying to say is, well, sin is so bad, my flesh. Paul's always warring against the flesh. But if we're not careful, we're going to begin to think our actual bodies are a problem. But Psalm 8 says that God made us humans little less than the angels. So we have this cognitive dissonance in our mind. If I showed you a slide of a human anatomy and said, this is a body, look how amazing that is. I think everyone in this room would agree. Bodies are incredible. They're amazing. That's your body. You have one of those bodies standing there with head to the... You know, like, that's, that's you. You have an amazing body. And at the same time, you would say, my body is not so amazing, John. Not so amazing. I look in the mirror, not so much. So on one level, science and God tell us that our body is amazing. And on the other level, culture... And I would guess the church have told you, your body's not so amazing. So we have work to do. We have work to do. Because there are some things we can't change about our bodies. Now, some of that can motivate you. Some of that can make you think, okay, all right, I see that. I see that I, I want to get healthier, right? I want to work out. I want to diet. All the, Those things can be good, but... There's some things we can't change about our bodies. And I'm willing to guess that when you are judging your body, you're looking at things in your appearance that are things that only come from God. These are not as a result of your sin, these are not as a result of your failings. These are what we call your appearance. This is not cancer, this is not a, a car injury, this is the body you were given. It's your appearance. And even some of these things we tend to call disabilities. We're working through this. It's a culture. We're trying to figure this out. Let's think about some of the things that are just my appearance and yet have been judged throughout history. Race. Gender. My looks, especially people's faces, right? You're given a face. Your body type your personality types, even things that we're now calling differently abled, things like autism and ADHD, right? Are these disabilities or are these God-given natures to your body? Are these genetics? Are these things passed down from your actual parents? And if so, then these are things that are, Genesis 1, very good. These are very good things about you. It's not as if Adam, you know, we see Adam like Sistine Chapel. He's got the six-pack, right? He's perfect, ideal body. It's not as if Adam goes, oh, yeah, it's a nice apple, and then he suddenly goes like a dad bod. <laughs> like, that's not what happens. And now suddenly, because of sin, he's, you know, totally physically different, In fact, when we start to think that that's what sin is, and that's what sin does, we start to do things that could lead down very dark paths and have in history. In history, they have used that kind of logic to explain things that have led to just ridiculous sexism, racism, anti-Semitism, eugenics in Nazi Germany were formed off this idea That the body can actually, because of sin, become bad and needs to be removed. Not allowed. This is falling. This is not eradicating sin. This is falling prey to sin. Because it is falling prey to judgment, either on ourselves, which is a lot of times where it begins, and then... On others so does the Bible talk about body image at all that was a question I had when I thought about this Do, how does the Bible actually talk about our bodies if you want to turn with me you can to Genesis 29 or look on your phone and I'm going to give you a little backstory here and then we're going to jump in at verse 15 think about body image and judgment when it comes to this story This is a great story in the Bible. This is the story of Jacob and Esau. Now, if you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob tripped Esau out of his birthright. He tricked him out of the family homestead. He he tricked him out of everything. And he did this by pretending to be Esau in front of his ailing father. What's worse, he did it in cahoots with Rebekah his mother. And we find him on the run from his brother Esau heading to a distant land where Rebekah told him his uncle Laban lived. There he meets the shepherds and the family of Laban. Remember, he's on the run. He can't go home. And in chapter 29, verse 15, it says, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. What does weak eyes mean there? You can kind of tell from the contrast. can't You, you don't even need to be a... a hebrew scholar to know what's going on here it's like saying she's big boned or he's thin as a rail this is a euphemism because she was ugly in the eyes of who god no in the eyes of jacob leah had weak eyes but rachel right but rachel The comparison tells the story of sin and how Jacob has already conformed to the culture of his age. And he's making value judgments based on appearances. God designed variety in our bodies, not as a hierarchy. So this is not a modern construct. You might say body image, that's such a like... 2020 thing to be talking about at church, John, really? This is not a new concept. This was before advertising. Jacob didn't have, like, you know, billboards to teach him. This is sin. And it's creating division. Let's go on. Verse 18, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you Laban seven years in return for your youngest daughter Rachel. Laban said it's better that I give her to you than to some other man stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban give me my wife my time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast But when evening came, he took his daughter, Leah, and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. It's like one of my all-time favorite Bible stories. It's like, what? What? How How did that happen? You can't make this stuff up. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Now just pause for one second. Leah's like right there. I served you for Rachel. Think about like the level of emotional trauma and body image stuff that's going on right now in that moment. That is like catastrophic level. It's shame happening because of sin. And it's happening in every direction at once in this story. And it's shame that leads to desire, that leads to manipulation, that leads to control. Let's look how. Jacob was Rebecca's favorite in the story. If you rewind to Jacob and Esau, if you know some of you know that story. Jacob was Rebecca's favorite son. He was what we would call if we use the slur a mama's boy. He liked cooking. He liked staying at home. If we're going to use classic, you know, honestly, sinful gender stereotypes, that's what we're going to call him right now. Esau was like the buff hunter. Right? He's the outdoorsy, off-roading guy. He's Isaac's favorite. He's the oldest son. God chooses Jacob in that story. He actually says, I choose Jacob for my line. But Isaac doesn't choose Jacob. Jacob's not chosen. Why? Why doesn't Isaac follow God? Isaac too is conforming to the world of image and to what the expectations of that time are and what looks like a good and strong son. And so Rebecca and Jacob are shamed in that moment. They're shamed. Rebecca's boy isn't good enough for dad. her identity isn't good enough for her husband actually because she's like vicariously living out that identity in Jacob, teaching him her ways and her body, because Jacob isn't accepted, her body is also not accepted by her husband. Do you see like the level that this goes to? So what does Rebecca do? She gets what she wants. She manipulates and she controls until she gets the birthright to Jacob. Now fast forward, because this has already wreaked all kinds of havoc havoc on Jacob's life. He's now got a death sentence from his brother. The same exact thing is happening with Laban and Leah. The same exact thing. Laban's oldest, Leah, isn't good enough for Jacob, even though you always marry off the oldest first. He wants Rachel. He too is conforming to a culture. He knows Leah needs to be married off first, but he's a rule breaker already, isn't he? And he's gotten away with it and he's figured it out He's figured out how to play the game of taking my, sh- my, my shame and doing some alchemy with it to convert it into what I want to get, doing some magical trick with it, some sleight of hand so that I can still come out on top and I can keep hiding from my shame, deluding myself and hopefully others as long as I need to until I can cut and run. The message that Leah gets from this story, put yourself in her shoes for a second, is that she's too ugly to get a husband on her own. Laban gives her that message. So what happens? She sneaks herself into his tent on his wedding night. Maybe a lot like Jacob did with Esau. We don't know. Maybe they were in cahoots. Maybe it was a whole plan to fake Jacob out. And whammo, absolute emotional devastation. You've got body issues, you've got identity issues, you've got shame issues for every single person in this story. And it's shame because the people in the story are unwilling to accept reality. They're unwilling to accept reality. Now, you, you might say, John, man, that sounds like really tough to say to all of us. Like, You're telling me I'm unwilling to accept my reality? You think your reality is a punishment when I say it that way. I think my reality is a punishment. When somebody tells me just grow up and accept your reality, that makes me feel like not very good. Well, God didn't give me what I need, so I'm going to go get it. You're trying to stop me? Do you see the level of taking of the apple that we're doing in that moment? where we don't believe we have a good God. This morning we sang about a good God who knows what we need, who's given us Jesus Christ. But we're ashamed and we're unwilling to accept that reality. So we do all kinds of manipulation. We manipulate other people. We manipulate our own bodies. Jacob turns himself into Esau. Psychological levels of what's going on there. It's weird. It's even weirder with Leah. It's all weird to be more desirable for culture so that we can get what we want. All throughout the story, we're seeing how sin is not perverting the body, but the impression of the body. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. You can go into these stories and they just keep unfolding and unfolding. It's almost like God designed this to teach us something. And in this story, we see a generational curse taking place. This is what you call, this is a good old-fashioned generational curse. You're passing body image down to, down, down the line This is like, it may not be genetic, but it's being inherited because it's being taught. Rebecca and Laban are are siblings. Uncle Laban, right? They learned this. We do this all the time. You You might say, I'd never do something like Jacob did to Esau. I would never do something like that. We do this all the time. Before I was a pastor, I, I made documentary films, and I would make them about the environment. And so one of the things that was big in these films was to eat organic. All right? I couldn't afford to eat organic while I was making these films. I was trying to figure it out. I was going, I need to walk the talk. I'm broke. This is like a passion project. How do I do this? And I was very nervous about it. And so when people would come over that knew full well what I was making and what I was trying to say and what I was trying to do, I would get very self-conscious. So I would actually project my image by putting, buying special organic ingredients for that meal, putting things around the house in such a way so that it's kind of obvious that that's obviously how I eat all the time. Fig leaves. I'm covering my shame. Image projection. Jacob becoming Esau. We do this stuff all the time. Makeup can be great, and it can be stemming from shame. The car you buy can be great, and it can stem from shame. Instagram and Facebook don't even get me started. We know when we're grabbing for figlings. I'm not up here to judge any way that anybody is doing anything with their body in this sermon. I'm asking you to ask yourself, am I covering myself with fig leaves? Am I seeking to hide the shame? All right. told you we'd go all over the place. We're back to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. We have a little more context now. When you float around the Bible, you get a little context, and you can read things a little differently. Let's read it again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies was God's mercy. All she ever wanted was to feel his mercy. All Leah's looking for is acceptance. It's all Jacob's looking for. It's all anybody in any of these stories is looking for. Somebody to love us. But right after Leah marries Jacob, man, maybe, maybe I can Dodge the bullet on this one. Laban said I should do it. Jacob married me. Didn't know it was me, but he married me. Right after. It's just brutal what happens. There's no acceptance. Literally after that tent moment, Jacob asks for Rachel by the next week. I need her in my tent next week, and then I'll work seven years to pay it off. This guy is horrible. Leah could not find her acceptance for her body in Jacob. She had to find her acceptance for who she was in God. The world was not going to give her her acceptance. It wasn't in Leah's story. You may be looking for the world to give you acceptance, and it's not going to be in your story. You have to look for it somewhere else. And Leah, it happens through childbirth. Over and over for her first few kids, she names her kids this name that says, this time my husband will love me. That's what the name means. Because she's hoping that by bringing children to Jacob, he will change his tune. He'll begin to accept her and he doesn't. Over and over. And then finally, she has a son and she says, this one's name will be this time I will praise the Lord. That's cross and resurrection stuff right there. That's death, rebirth stuff right there. That's traveling through your pain stuff right there. And it takes time. Leah is living out Romans 12, 1 through 2. In view of God's mercy, offering her body as a living sacrifice. Set apart and pleasing God as her true and proper worship so that she won't be conformed to the world but transformed by the renewing of her mind this time I will praise the Lord this time culture you're not gonna tell me I'm nothing I'm worthless I'm meaningless this time I will praise the Lord same job same lot in life same comparisons you could make to your brothers or your parents or whatever life you don't have that you wish you had, but you say instead, this time I will praise the Lord. And what happens in giving her all of these sons is that God is giving mercy on Leah. Mercy. What does Romans 12 1 say? In view of God's mercy, John Stott Famous pastor, English pastor from the last century says, The gospel is precisely God's mercy to inexcusable and undeserving sinners in giving his son to die for them, in justifying them freely by faith, in sending them his life-giving spirit, and in making them his children. In particular, the key word of Romans 9-11, through right before this chapter, is mercy. For salvation depends not on man's desire or effort, But on God's mercy. And his purpose is to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy. He continues further as the disobedient Gentiles have now received mercy. This is from Romans right before this. So too Israel. Jacob. Remember Jacob gets renamed to Israel. Will now receive mercy. This guy. This guy who did all of that stuff. Is also getting God's mercy. Isaiah 43 says this, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob. Remember this both means Jacob, but in much larger sense, all of Israel. And for all of us, we know that this applies to us. O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I must accept my acceptance. I must be okay with my imperfection. God wants me Though I'm imperfect to myself, he will perfect me as I participate with him. Let's use the metaphor of marriage, because probably many of you in this room are familiar with this. Your partner does not look perfect in the cultural sense of that word. They are not Wonder Woman, they are not Superman. Yet, you will say to them in full honesty, You look perfect today. And you will mean it. You will mean it. Because when we're married, when we're committed, when we believe in the other person, we will treat the other person as perfect. And this is what God does to us through Christ. I was talking with my wife about this, and she said the issue with body image is we're uncomfortable with our bodies when we don't know who we are but we will never feel okay with who we are until we know whose we are. That's what this story is about. In view of his mercies, now that I know whose I am, I will offer my body as a living sacrifice, set apart, holy. Holy does not mean perfect. We think that that word means perfect. I need to be holy, or they're so holy. We use it as a term that just means perfect. It means set apart. But we've so internalized that idea of holy that we even, sitting in these pews, we go, man, when I die, I'll be in heaven, and I will look like a supermodel. Because that's what we have thought holy means. I will be perfect. When I get to heaven. But what if you have the same nose? What a shocker that would be. What if you actually have a body that looks like your body with everything you don't like about it in heaven? The thing about heaven is you will like it. It doesn't matter what your body looks like in heaven. You're fully loved by God, you're fully in love with God, and everyone else around you is going to be totally accepting of you. Weird. That's really weird. So we don't need to think about what it will all be like. We don't need to have the vision. I'll figure that's why in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul talks about, go read it, it's it's weird stuff. He talks much more in describing terms of from perishable to imperishable, from dishonor to honor. Will there be cancer in heaven? No way. That's perishable. But my appearances are not perishable. And my appearances are not dishonorable by God. They're dishonorable because of sin. Some of you are really disappointed right now because you really wanted that. But think about it. It's a transformation of your attitude and that's what brings us to being able to live in true and proper worship. And I'll wrap up here. We have to ask, what do we do with our hands? This is the weird chicken and egg part of Christianity. I both have the spirit in me, and yet I do stuff. I act. God is working through me, and yet I am a free willed person. We have to operate not out of all works or all grace. All works is okay, John taught this message, and my takeaway is I need a diet. John taught this message, and my takeaway is I just need to just let it all go, man. Just live your life. It's all grace. John taught me this message, and I've got it. I'll work really hard so that I get the acceptance. I just need to get back to where I was at 25. You have missed the point, if any of those are your takeaways. Instead, it's it's a totally different message. It's Christ. It's discipline from acceptance. The message of Paul about his body, I beat my body, all that stuff, is because in view of God's mercy, he wants to do the best for his king. So for some of you, that will mean making some changes. It could mean that, but not from shame, because of glory. Not because you're not good enough, but because now that you're loved, you want to. You want to give it another try. And this is the message of grace, the properly understood message of grace and works. And it applies to our body image. So your body is your traveling companion and the journey that we go on as we're traveling isn't straight to heaven. You've got to pass through what? The cross. We follow Jesus there and then he decides what happens next. Crucify your image of body. It's too informed by the culture. Crucify it. Let Jesus crucify it and let it die. And wait for what he will do next. We have these false dichotomies, these two things that are opposed to each other. We have ugly, pretty. In the Bible, they had Israel and the Gentiles. We all know how that worked out. But Christ obliterates our categories. No longer is there ugly and pretty. There is just less fully human And more fully human. And every single person in this room can become more fully human by following Jesus. But we have to interpret, as we say in our church, the facts with the truth. We need to have God's narrative over our life. What is a fact? My nose is ugly is not a fact. That is not a fact. My nose has two nostrils is a fact. But what's the truth? God loves you. Interpret your facts with the truth. I'm going to give you this challenge. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We talk about it in our relationship with other people. Put your body out here in the group. What if you acted out the fruits of the Spirit to your body? What if the next time you're frustrated, you're upset, you failed yourself, what if the next time you're angry with yourself, you practice those traits in the fruit of the Spirit? How would that look? And how would that change how you view your body? And as you tackle these, sh- these ways that you're covering your shame and your lack, notice how those things are trying to pull you into being conformed with the world rather than being transformed by God's mercy toward you. It may be this week that you're just not, you hold your tongue when you're going to criticize your body in front of your grandkid or when you're going to make some comments about how they should do things. It may be putting your body to work And actually aging it and weathering it. That's how you follow Jesus. You've idolized your body and you want it to be pristine. But you need to get in there. This may be doing the hard thing and reducing your work. Or your workout routine. Or your makeup routine. To have more time. Or it may be lengthening it. I don't know. It could be eating less. It could be eating more. It could be getting your body a second chance as God gives you with one, one and laughing with it and trying again with it as he tries with you again. Let's pray. God, we thank you, always we thank you. We thank you for challenges. We thank you that your spirit is working in each of us. God, I'm a guy. I don't know what half the people in this room are going through. I thank you that you do. God, we thank you that you don't have culture's view what is good or bad. But you've given us your view. And it's not something out of reach for any of us with anybody. But God, we know there's work to do. We pray for conviction. We pray that we might lift each other up In this week, as the summer ends, we pray that we might see the justice ramifications of this, that how we view our body actually can be an act of injustice and cruelty, like Rachel, like Jacob to Leah. We pray that you convict us in our own hearts. What are the things, God, that we don't want to crucify that you're asking to take from us and evaluate and for us to follow Jesus? Pray these things in your name. Amen.